Welcome back to another episode of Faithfully Engaged. Today, we have Paul Granger on as a guest. So, Paul, it's great to see you. And and why don't you tell the audience just a little bit about yourself? Yeah, well, it's great to be here. I appreciate the opportunity, and I'm looking forward to the conversation. And one of the ways that I like to introduce myself is my role as ambassador of Christ. So like when we meet somebody new, we want to know what their job is. What is it that you do? And we put a lot of stock on that identity. Uh, I've had a number of things in my life that have brought me to the place of realizing that my job is ambassador of Christ. My identity Mm -hmm. is someone made in the image of God that's being invited to represent him, uh, both in functional and unexpected ways. And so practically the way that plays out is I am full-time ministry fully support-based, and that takes many forms from content creation. Uh, I run a podcast, Where Did You See God?, to writing things, to conversations on the porch, to facilitating a community Bible study, to serving alongside youth with a mission. But the funny thing is, over the last five years, there's been a lot of inconsistency, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of unknowns, because God's basically inviting me to wake up every day and say, Am I willing to seek God first? Am I willing to step where he invites me to step? And then when I do it, I may not know what's ahead, but I know God's ahead. (laughs) Yeah, I I think that's a fantastic way to describe that. And that's something we are, I think, all pretty guilty of, of, well, like me, I'm a counselor. And and that's Mm -hmm. what I start that introduction by. But let's start with that of ambassador, ambassador of Christ. Kind of explain to the audience what exactly you mean by that. What's it mean to be an ambassador of Christ? Yeah. Well, when we think about ambassadorship in general, the idea is that somebody has been given the opportunity, the privilege, the responsibility to represent something bigger than them, something that that's not themselves. So we think of it often in terms of somebody being an ambassador of their country. So if I were to be an ambassador of the United States, I would go to some other country and I would represent the United States. I would represent uh, what that means to be a United States citizen, the interests, the desires, the hopes. Sometimes I will be given specific uh, things to communicate to other leaders. And so when we bring that into what it means to be ambassadors of Christ, uh, we're being given the opportunity, the the privilege, the responsibility to represent something very much beyond ourselves, to represent God, to represent Christ. A lot of times what we end up doing is basically just wearing a a name tag that says Christian, but that's the extent to which it impacts our lives. Um, And we're not intentionally doing this, but functionally the worries of life, the desires of life uh, become the things that we are predominantly focused on. But an ambassador, a good ambassador knows that at every moment, they are representing their country. (laughs) They are representing their leader. So what they say, what they do matters. And so when we talk about being ambassadors of Christ, there's this idea of recognizing that whatever life was about, whatever we were pursuing, we are making the conscious choice to say, I'm foregoing all that for the sake of representing Christ and sharing him with whoever God puts in my path. And that, that could be a tricky thing because like I mentioned, there's a lot of uncertainty in that. Let's look at the disciples. The disciples knew what their lives were about before Jesus showed up. Peter, I'm a fisherman. 
My dad was a fisherman. My grandpa was a fisherman. My kids are going to be fishermen. I know what it means to get in a boat and get the fish. I get paid for the fish I get. I feed my family. I get in the boat the next day and repeat. Then this guy comes up who Peter can tell there's something special about him. And Jesus basically says to him, hey, would you like to be unemployed and follow me around? (laughs) Right? And Peter was stepping into something that he had no experience of that was beyond his comprehension. We see him wrestling with trying to grapple with this identity of Jesus, the purpose of Jesus uh, throughout the three years of ministry and even into Acts. But Jesus continues to invite him to represent him. He invites Peter to be a representative, an ambassador of who he is and what he's doing, both in really functional ways when Jesus sends out all the disciples, uh, all the way up to when Jesus commissions Peter, basically said, I I would like you to be one of the spiritual leaders of what my body, the church is going to look like. And so we can look at Peter and see all the ways that we can misstep in that and all the ways that God can work despite our missteps. but the big thing that we see is what where Peter lands at the end of his life is nothing like what Peter would have expected, which is Ephesians 3.20, right? To him who's able to do far exceedingly more than we could ask or imagine. I don't know what Peter was asking for or imagining for his life, but being a fisher of men was probably not it. Being an ambassador of Christ who he watched be beaten and crucified and then come back to life and then rise up in the sky like was not on his docket and yet at some point or more at multiple points he made the conscious decision to accept that invitation to accept that opportunity to accept that responsibility and then to learn what it means to live that out so for us it's the same it starts with us being willing to say okay i'm willing to count the cost and step into this unique role (laughs) And then I know tomorrow I'm probably going to have to learn a little more about what that means. And the next day and the next day, all the way up to the end of our lives, because the Apostle Paul says not that I've achieved perfection, but I continue to run the race. We're going to continue to learn what this looks like. But it really is a beautiful invitation because, again, abundantly more is waiting for us when we step into it. Mm. You know, as you were talking, uh, my my thoughts were kind of going to something we've really been talking about at, at my church and, and my small group specifically, of really of about stewardship and and particularly mm. financial stewardship, um, but really just in general that when we look at stewardship, it's looking at l- taking care of something that is not your own, and mm. being that ambassador you are intentionally laying down your own life and raising up a life that is way better than anything that you could imagine, like you're saying with mm-hmm. Peter there. And mm-hmm. same thing kind of goes in the on the financial side of things. Um, if you are a, a believer and you, you do your tithe, do your offering, you're intentionally giving up money and the worldly view, like, well, what are you doing? You could be using that money for something great. <laughs> right, um, right. But we look at it as Christians that ultimately that's not even our money. That's like God gifted us that, and we are needing to use it for what's best for him um, and best for his kingdom. And kind of on that line of thinking, on the financial side of things, <laughs> being an ambassador, um, being a steward of money, how does one faithfully uh, use money and um, be able to 
really thrive in that condition while not trying to just maximize the amount of money and and the bank account. Uh, how does yeah. one make sense of yeah. that? Yeah. Well, and it's tricky. Uh, you know, the scripture says that the root of all e- uh, a, a root of all evil is the love of money. It's something to that effect. But there is some uniqueness about how it's worded that, you know, I've taken that in the past as meaning greed. So as long as I'm not greedy, I'm fine. But there's something about the implication of it being the love of money that isn't just like, I love money, give me all the money. But sometimes it's, I need money in order to survive. Like, uh, you know, so it's it's hitting on both ends. And there's this fear of the financial that we often carry because logically it's it's a legitimate thing. You know, we need certain things to exist, food, water, and shelter. Those things typically aren't free. So if they're not free, that means they cost money, right? And well, in order to get money, you either have to have a job or get really lucky and win the lottery or get an inheritance or some some other random thing. But for the majority of the world, it's through employment. So you have to have a job to get the money and you need the money in order to survive. And again, we heard, we talked about this idea of Peter had this more or less steady income. And then Jesus says, come be unemployed with me. And there were numerous points at which they didn't have enough money. There is a point where they're walking into the city and Jesus and a disciple, it might've been Peter, uh, are coming in and they see a tax collector and the disciples like, whoa, 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 what are we going to do? We don't have money to pay the taxes. <laughs> We need money. And so, and there's no way for us to get money. Or you look at the feeding of the 5,000. All these people need to eat. We don't have the money to feed them. What Jesus responds to in that moment is the reality that you don't actually need money. You need God. God is provider. And God can provide in creative ways. So for the taxes, he's like, why are you worried about this? Just go to that fish and reach in and there's money in there. (laughs) Or why are you worried about the food? Just feed them. And they're like, we don't know how. And he's like, okay, fine. <laughs> you got a couple of loaves, a couple of fish. Give it to me. Right. And he does this many times. In fact, even beyond Jesus, throughout scripture, we see God providing in miraculous, unexpected, impossible ways. And yet we as believers continue to fall back into financial fear. So I think that's the starting point. We have to acknowledge that we do have a love of money, whether it's greed or a fear of not having it, we have that and it drives us to make decisions. I want to trust God, but I need to keep this job. Or I want to trust God, but I have to do this. Or I want to trust God, but if I do that, I could lose money. Ministries, churches, how often do they make decisions out of fear that that donor might not give if they do a certain thing, right? We're constantly making decisions out of the fear of the financial. Well, about five years ago, I unexpectedly lost my job. And I say unexpectedly because it happened in a way that it didn't happen for anyone else. No one expected it, but God actually gave me a heads up that it might happen. And so I was able to go in with uh, a peace and an awareness of the spirit working. There's a whole story around that, that I won't tell at this moment. But what I will say is that it happened at really the worst possible time. We were already tight on our income. Uh, My wife and I both worked at the same ministry and we're working at a ministry which doesn't pay a lot, but my wife was pregnant with a third child. (laughs) So losing a job, ah, that's not good. I I need money in order to pay for all the mortgage and the food for the kids and the kid that's coming and you need a job. And God told me, don't operate out of fear of the financial. Trust me as provider. He actually invited me to not job search for that first month 
and for that second month. <laughs> and then in going into the third month, the invitation was just to do my due diligence, to not stress, to not like, oh, I got to get a job. I ended up being unemployed for six months. And yet in that, there is this deep awareness that God was provider, that I didn't need money, that I needed God. God could provide through money, but he could provide in other ways. My wife and I, we worked the numbers. We knew when our money was going to run out. You know what didn't happen? Our money running out. You know what else happened? Christmas, me ending up in the hospital, my wife having a child, my cat needing dental surgery, my car needing work. And not only were all those things covered, but we didn't scale back. We didn't say, sorry, kids, no gifts this Christmas. We didn't say, sorry, kids, it's going to be spaghetti every night. Like God invited us to continue to operate as we were operating, not to operate out of fear. And at the end of that unemployment, I had job opportunities and this clear invitation from God to step into something really crazy, which was to work with Youth With a Mission, which for anyone who knows, they know that nobody gets paid at YWAM. Everybody's a volunteer. You basically, I don't want to say you live off support because that in a way goes against what I'm saying. I don't live off of support. I trust God as provider. He chooses to provide through people, through the generosity of others. And he's also provided in unexpected ways, ways that I don't even, I can't even explain right now. And I just hit the four-year mark of that. Two of those years, by the way, my wife felt like God was calling her to leave her job. So now we had no income <laughs> and God continued to provide. And so what I'm, what I'm trying to drive home here is that we have an unhealthy understanding of money, an unhealthy reliance on money. And, and it's a logical understanding and reliance. But the wisdom of God is foolishness to man. Jesus says to count the cost. We're being invited to, you know, as Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will set your path straight. God's basically saying, look, I get it. I know you have your own understanding. I want to invite you to not lean on it. You can be aware of it, but don't lean on it for your support. Trust in me. <laughs> Fully trust in me. I know what I'm talking about. If you submit to me, I'm going to set your path straight. And so... That's the big answer is God has, has a proven track record of being faithful as provider, and he continues to invite us. And so when we are finding ourselves fearful or struggling, it's not because God dropped the ball, but it, sometimes it's because we're not actually reaching for the ball from him. <laughs> we're trusting ourselves or, and this is, a, a, this is another big thing, uh, we set in our minds how things should work. And so when God doesn't give us you know, if I'm a missionary and I know what number I feel like I need to meet, uh, meet and it, it's not hit, then I can say, oh, God's not providing, right? Like, well, maybe God doesn't want to fill your bank account. Maybe he wants to do like he did with the Israelites and give you manna. He didn't give them a stockpile of manna that then he's like, all right, here you go. I'll check back in in a month. Like the idea wasn't that they were getting stuff from him. It was relationship. It was that by getting that manna every day, they were continuing to remember who God was. They were continuing to remember that God was providing for them, that they had the opportunity to trust. Anybody who tried to stockpile so they didn't have to deal with God the next day or they didn't have to risk it just in case it's not there, didn't work out. It rotted. Now, this was magical manna because there is this rule that it would only last a day except on the Sabbath, at which point they could gather double and it lasted two days. God knows what he's doing. He's doing the impossible, but he's also doing it because he desires that connection with us. Do we actually want connection with him? 
that's the question we don't always want to ask. <laughs> I think that's a fantastic way to put that. And uh, this kind of, I'm going to talk this out loud a little bit, but leads it to my next question of, I hear often, not necessarily intentionally, but practically of different spheres. And, and some of this is legitimate, like how I am at work isn't exactly the same as how I am at home. How I am with my friends isn't exactly how I am with, with my family. Uh, some of that is just reality and, and truth. But what yeah. happens is we often have our, our spiritual sphere. Here's my church sphere. Here's my prayer sphere. Mm -hmm. And that stays over here. It doesn't infect my, my work sphere or my family sphere. Yeah. It's just its own little bubble there. So mm -hmm. to somebody that either explicitly believes that or just practically is kind of believing that, one, what's wrong with that? Why should they not believe that way? And yeah. two, if they are, what, what do they do about it? How, how can they yeah, stop yeah. doing that? Yeah. Well, I want to encourage everyone that, like like you said, it's logical. I mean, we're raised into this idea of how to function. Like, it, it makes sense. It's natural. Uh, but the reason that it's not a great way to think is because it's not actually how reality works. And I'll put it like this. Um, the way I used to describe it when I ran internships is, like you were saying, we it's like we have this table. And we have all these components of our life and we have our spirituality, our relationship with God. Oh, yeah, that's important. I'm going to put it front and center. Uh, but also, you know, my education or my job or my relationships and, you know, my home and my community. And well, now the table starting to get crowded. And well, this, you know, this passion of mine, this is important. So like I'm not pushing God out the way, but like let's put both of these in the center. But oh, man, oh, no, I'm starting to stress out about this. And so this has got to be the focus. And we don't notice it happening, but God's getting pushed a little more, a little more to the edge of the table, possibly falling off the table, right? Like, and then we're like, oh man, how did this happen? Or what do I do? Or we just feel overwhelmed. And that makes sense. We've got all these things in our life and it can feel hard to make space for God. The problem with that is that isn't actually how reality works. God isn't some part of the table. The spiritual isn't some thing on the table. It is the table. Like our reality is spiritual. And so a right understanding is to say that is spiritual and all these things, therefore, on top of it. This is why scripture talks about the ability in anything you do, you can serve God, right? Like, and some people will reference it. So that means if I'm cleaning toilets, you know, I can be serving God. And it could sometimes be a little bit of mental uh, acrobatics trying to make that work in our heads because it's like, how does scrubbing a toilet actually glorify God, <laughs> especially if it's my toilet and not somebody else that I'm serving? But the thing is, is if the table is spiritual, if our reality is a spiritual reality, then that means anything that's happening is naturally a part of that. And so that's the first step for someone who wants to break that is to step back and actually consider that reality. What if God isn't something that I've got to fit amongst all these things, but actually is present in the midst of all these things? And so when I am at work, it doesn't have to be this independent, separate thing that I function differently than I do at church. I can recognize God's with me in this space. When I'm doing some menial task, I can recognize I can do this as a way of honoring God, like as a way of like, God, I'm going to I'm going to put my best into this as a way to show glory to you. Like, I mean, it could be small things like that. But the bigger thing is our mentality. 
are we willing to actually recognize that all of it is within God's domain or do we want to stay segmented? And then God is the one to two hours on Sunday. And maybe if we're awake in time and have the energy, some amount of time each day or every other day or like God, God doesn't have to be segmented. Now, the good news is, is it also can be very organic. I think the other problem is we're kind of raised into this segment and mindset because we think of engaging God in very stringent ways. So it's, it's church, it's praying, it's reading your Bible. And depending on your experience of that, those can look very specific too. It's 30 minutes in your Bible and you have to have your journal and prayer has to be quiet and it has to be for this amount of time and you got to have a list. Well, what happens if you've got young kids and there is no such thing as quiet in your house? What if you're working like two jobs and there's no such thing as spare time? What if you're working a job that actually puts you on the schedule on Sundays and you can't go to church regularly? You can't build that community. Like there's all kinds, there are people in the world that are working every day just to get like one meal on the table for their family. So are they not able to have a relationship with God? Well, no, actually they can because connecting with God can take many different forms depending on the season of our lives. It's great if we're in a season of our life where we have ample time to pray or ample time to read the word or ample quiet. But in the absence of that, God can connect with us even when we have very little offer. We see this with Elijah when he is like at the end of himself. And he's like, just take me now, God. I, I, am, I am just, I am out of strength. And God meets him in that space. Elijah's offering very little at that point. Like God is doing the heavy lifting there. But there is still connection there, right? And as he builds his strength, maybe he's able to contribute a little more. And so it can feel hard to seek God in certain spaces. It can feel unnatural. And especially if we feel like it has to look a certain way. Seeking God in my secular work environment, I guess, does that have to look like evangelizing? And what if I get in trouble? Or what if it feels awkward? Or what if I lose relationships? Well, maybe it doesn't look like that. Maybe it looks like extending love, right? Maybe it looks like, interacting with that person that nobody else is interacting with. Maybe it looks, I don't know, maybe it looks like sitting in silence during your break and just spending time with God. The bottom line is it can take that, take different forms. And our starting point is simply saying, God, I want to seek you. Help me to know what that looks like. Just start simply like that and see what God brings out. I, I like that. I, I love the the kind of the imagery there of, you know, that God isn't a, a piece of the table. He is the table. He is all. And we are the ones that are just trying to manage the little life, the little speck of life that we have, um, and really mm -hmm. keeping that in context. And I'm big on this just in my, in my counseling practice of break it down to the smallest piece. If I'm working mm -hmm. with somebody and they want to start exercising, that they, they are, they realize the physical health, the spiritual health, the mental health, all the, the benefits of, of exercise. But they see their best friend that's running a marathon and that guy wants to invite them to go with them. Yeah. That's pretty intimidating. But yeah. what's not intimidating is going and walking to your mailbox. You could do mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. It's kind of same thing here. Would it be great to pray an hour long a day and read an hour long a day. Fantastic. And if you can get there, great. But do something. You know, we don't have to overcomplicate it. Just yeah. seek God and do something. And I think that makes yeah. that really practical the way that you you explained that. Yeah. 
had a pastor that the way he worded it is the low hanging fruit. When you're in a season of war in your life where just it's it's really hard, just go for the low hanging fruit. What is a simple way that you can connect with God? Does music, does worship music help you connect with that? Okay, then start there. Play some worship music. Is it prayer? Is it the word? Like whatever it is, just the low hanging fruit. And the reason that doesn't seem like enough is because we have built this idea that only the best is enough. Like we'll mm-hmm. we'll look at that ministry worker who's started this phenomenal nonprofit and is doing amazing things or this pastor that's speaking eloquently and knows all these scriptures or this person that prays for 20 hours a day or this, right? Mm-hmm. Like those are our metrics of success. That's not God's metric of success. God's not saying, all right, I only want the best because you look at scripture, he didn't choose the best most of the time. He intentionally <laughs> chose the least, chose the people who are like, whoa, 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 why are you choosing me? Moses is like, I can't talk well. Gideon's like, I'm the least of the least of the least. Jonah's like, I don't even like those people, (laughs) right? Like he chose people that didn't bring a whole lot to the table because at the end of the day, it was their willingness to step despite all their reasons not to step that made the big difference. And so, yeah, that low hanging fruit, those small steps, those small things, like in our minds, they look small, but in God's eyes, they're huge, Mm. right? Again, like five loaves and two fish, small. That's small. Nobody thought anything could happen with that. The woman who gave the the two mites is her contribution. Everybody looked down at her. That's a small donation. Jesus looked at both those things and is like, y'all don't even know how big this is. Mm-hmm. So yeah. like, yeah, don't feel shame about your, your minuscule offering to God. Like if it's an authentic offering to God, be like the woman who gave the two coins and recognize that Jesus is looking at that. And it's like that, look, look at that. So-and-so had no strength left, no desire left, and they gave those two minutes. Or they gave those two smiles to that person. Or that Jesus sees that and knows how much bigger, how much fruit that can produce. Even if we can't see, it doesn't mean God can't. Absolutely. And uh, another thing that kind of comes to my mind when you're saying that is, well, really two things had this conversation with several people recently about something that my church does once a month. We kind of have a a potluck and one quarter, uh, every quarter we we end it with a business meeting, but the other first Sundays of the month, we just do a potluck and then somebody from the church shares their testimony. And Mm -hmm. I really love it because we're, we're, generally not great at sharing our our own testimony or what happens is a lot of people that grew up in the church and this is kind of how I was I grew up in the church and uh, about the age of 6 realized I was a sinner um realized Jesus died for my sins and I accepted that and sure there's other valleys and mountains throughout my life but by and large that's the story God saved me at a young age and I'm super grateful for that and <laughs> As I grew older and I heard some of these incredible stories, I was this motorcycle gang member doing hardcore drugs and God saved me mm-hmm. from that. I'm like, well, what's my testimony? My testimony right, is right. weak. And the older I've gotten, the more mature in my faith I've gotten, I've, I've realized how silly that is, that mm-hmm. it's not about us. We're, none of us can save ourselves. It, it's about who saved us. That's where the the testimony gets its strength from. So that, mm-hmm. that's one thing that I was kind of thinking through of don't doubt your testimony, no matter yeah. how 
insignificant you might think it is. It it's not. Uh, it is very significant. Mm-hmm. The the other thing that came to my mind of just the kind of the significance, I I'm pretty big on not demonizing technology, which is kind of a trend and in, in some Christian circles sometimes <laughs> of you know chat gpt is going to take us all down and and that type of mentality now don't get me wrong technology can be used for evil i I won't say Mm. otherwise but technology is is fairly agnostic it it can be used for good or or for bad and i see this on social media that great things on social media of uh old sermons or you can listen to some of the big guys out there maybe you listen to a, a John Piper sermon or John MacArthur or what whatever and there's great resources out there and I love that mm-hmm. but that kind of goes back into of like oh I'll I'll never be like them Th- those guys they got it all figured out I'm just this insignificant little pond scum I'm not like them and y- you're missing the point they're they're yeah. not great either it's who they're pointing to and I guess that kind of leads into this next question there that somebody that feels like, Oh, my testimony is nothing. I don't have this big, strong ministry like they do. What should they do to kind of look at their own heart and not downgrade their, their role? Yeah. Yeah. What's hilarious about that is we keep forgetting what actually makes a good story, right? Hmm. Like you've got, the superhero movies now, right? That are all about big action. You know, there's uh, the the cost is huge. What could go wrong if they don't save the world? And but if we're honest, like we we know that that's one type of movie. And most of us also like movies that don't the stakes aren't so high. Hmm. So most of us like certain movies that it's kind of a chill pace, right? So we are aware that stories can take different forms. But you're right, when it comes to testimonies, we're going for the Marvel testimonies, <laughs> right? We don't want the, the simple uh, coming of age story testimony. We don't want the simple like buddy fun movies. Like we don't want that because we want the big one because that's that's the one that you know just breaks the box office. <laughs> but I think we got to remind ourselves who writes the story. And if we're honest, we, we don't write the story. We know that. We will say, oh, yeah, God writes the story. And so when we're dismissing the story, it's, we have to remind ourselves it's kind of like we're going to God and saying, God, that wasn't a good story. You didn't write a good one there. Like, there are people in our lives, if we know writers, uh, and if they're good writers, we won't go up to them and necessarily just like dismiss all their work if it doesn't fit one thing. Like, we'll recognize they could write different forms. There's a novel, here's a haiku, here's, you know, a, a short essay. Like we a good writer can write in different ways and in the same way God can write different types of stories because he knows the purpose of the stories he's writing. Mm. And there are stories that he's writing to be big and attention grabbing, and there's other stories that he's writing for other purposes. The other thing that we have to recognize is in that moment we can feel really isolated and alone. Because it seems like everyone else has a good testimony, but I don't. Well, are we really going to assume that we're the only ones with a seemingly simple testimony? The truth is, we're not. Because I've been there too. For a long time, I was like, Lynn, I've got a boring testimony, (laughs) right? And 
But the thing is, is that there are things that are a part of my story that were also a part of somebody else's story. And when I'm willing to share that, it may not be the attention grabbing thing, but that person's attention is going to be grabbed because they're going to be like, mm. that's me. I get that. I was in the church all my life too. I felt like things are really simple too. Like I, I felt like I always just kind of knew God and my journey was coming to know him deeper. Like suddenly there's a resonating. Some of my favorite movies are just simple ones. The world's not ending. There's no big score or anything. It's just very simple. It's a beautiful, simple story. Maybe that's what God has for us. And, you know, the other piece of it too, is we, we treat testimonies as like a one and done thing. Mm -hmm. It's written and boom, there it is. All right. I got it on the shelf. I got a bunch of books behind me now. There's my testimonies right there. Now, like what I've come to realize is that my testimony is continuing to be mm -hmm. written. There may be pivotal points where I made decisions to trust God or follow God or do this, that, or the other, but I'm continuing to learn. Peter had a pivotal point where he said, I'm not going to live the same way I, I have been. I'm going to follow this Jesus guy. Like that, that was his decision moment. That's not his testimony. That's a chapter of his testimony. Yeah. He had many other chapters leading up to being martyred, right? And so now when I think of sharing my, my testimony, man, it takes so many different forms, depending on who I'm talking to, depending on what I feel like they've experienced. And I'm able to actually share parts of my life almost as like independent testimonies. Because hmm. um, again, like, like you described, I don't have that one singular date this is the day that I got off my Harley, <laughs> threw the drugs in the toilet and stopped killing people and said, Jesus, I'm yours. Like, I didn't have that. But what that meant is I had, and everyone has this, but I've had so many moments of consciously making a decision where I could go this way, but I'm going to choose God. And now there are so many stories, so many chapters, and it's exciting and also a little daunting that there are so many chapters ahead. And so- yeah. God is writing a story for everyone. God is a good author. He is a really good author. And if the story doesn't make sense to you now, maybe that's because it's not done being written. Maybe the chapter's not done being written. And I can guarantee you there will come a point where you will look back at a season and you will see it differently than you did in the midst. Mm. What seemed like an incoherent stringing of words together, you'll see the beauty, the artistry, the intentionality around how God phrased certain things. But it all starts with, are we willing to trust God as the author? And, and the humility to say, often we don't. And that's okay. Are we willing to choose to trust now and then choose <laughs> to trust again tomorrow? <laughs> I've really have been gotten are getting into the idea of of storytelling. That that's a big part of why I have this podcast to to hear other mm -hmm. people's stories. Mm -hmm. And my brain typically isn't the the more artistic type. Um, like my my mom and sister, they they're they're better at that. They they can draw better and and write more eloquently. Their their brain just works a little bit more in that way. And my dad and I, uh, my my dad's a more of an engineer type so it's kind of a little bit more structured not as much on the the story side and i'm starting to realize that no like stories are they're not just a nice little book that we read every once mm -hmm. in a while like it's life all of our lives yeah. are stories like you put there god is the author of these stories mm -hmm. we can look mm -hmm. at 
I can't. I don't just have to look at a piece of uh, of art being hanging on a wall. Although that that is art, I can go look at a mountain like that. Mm-hmm. That's incredible art. That that's something mm-hmm. that my my wife and I really enjoy about mountains is because everyone is completely different, and it. We live in in rural Oklahoma. Every sunset is completely different, and mm-hmm. that is beautiful. Uh, so. Art, stories, even if you are not an artistic type individually, you need to learn the beauty of that because it's more than just a left brain, right brain thing. Like it's, that's life. Life is a story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we're forgetting the, you know, in Acts, Jesus says, I got to go, but I'm going to send a helper. (laughs) And there's this idea of this helper that actually equips the disciples to do things that they couldn't do, that wasn't in their mindset or skill set to do. And we forget the reality that our ability to serve God isn't contingent on our skill set. And so there are ways like if somebody feels like they're not creative first, we're made in the image of God and God is creator. So we're made in the image of the creator, which means that. There are elements of creating that are a part of our design. But the other piece is, is when we do not feel like the creative type, who's to say God can't choose to create through us? You know, there's this, I've, uh, I've gotten compliments on my ability, uh, my abilities as a podcaster. And I always laugh when somebody gives me a compliment because the, the secret is, it's not actually me being good at it at all. Like there are certain skill sets that I might bring to the table, like being quick on my feet or like being able to have the podcast voice or something like that. Right. <laughs> but I am keenly aware that the podcast episodes that get the most positive feedback weren't because I had done a lot of work crafting the questions and this, that, and the other, like every single one begins with prayer and inviting the, mm-hmm. the spirit to work because what I know is there is no matter how good I am at something, there is a limit mm-hmm. to how good I can be. And that's based on knowledge and skill, but also mood, also how well I slept, also on how well technology works, also on all these factors this is a lot that I can't control. Damn. God's limitless. And so God can do things. God has often worked through podcast episodes in ways that I'm like, that was not me. That was God. And yet I had the privilege of being a part of it. I'm an introvert, right? Like I hate small talk. Uh, but one of the ways that God's invited me to serve and equip me to serve is I live in a neighborhood with a lot of foot traffic on my street and God's invited me to be accessible and get to know neighbors. And that is typically small talk. If somebody's walking, you're not having a deep conversation. And I remember talking to a woman that I had met uh, maybe a month before. God brought her name back to my mind and I was able to call her by name. And she was so excited because she was like, I didn't, nobody ever remembers my name. Like remembered my name. And we're having this conversation. I remember having this, this moment where I'm like, this is like, what I'm doing is extrovert stuff. Like how in the world is it me that's doing it? Because this is not something I would have chosen, not something I would have been good at. Cause there are times where I'm not good at small talk. Mm-hmm. You get me at a wedding reception, <laughs> man, it's, it's awkward, but it was natural. And it was because it wasn't me. It was God working through me. And so if someone doesn't feel creative, if someone feels limited, great. That actually means you're better poised for God to work through you because you're going to be less 
uh, geared to be prideful about it or arrogant about <laughs> it because you're not gonna you're gonna know it's not you. <laughs> That, that's that's a really good point there. And I, it, again, it's, it's been convicting. Um, I, I've had some uh, uh, recently had an artist on uh, her name is, is Haley from uh, Sweet Sequels. And she incredible artist, just skill way beyond my comprehension. And I actually really appreciate that in part because I don't have that same skill set. It yeah. doesn't make sense in my brain. Like I don't, mm-hmm. I don't understand how that comes from your hand. It, it doesn't make sense to me, and it is convicting from, from a conversation with her and from what yeah. you're saying, though, that we come from a creator. So we all mm-hmm. have cr- creation ability. Um, and what's great too is when it comes when you know it's not something from your own like incredible abilities. Uh, those of you that are are listening that that are parents, I know we both are. Mm-hmm. Look at your kids. That is the coolest creation ever. Yeah. I mean, how incredible that is. And I mean, yeah, we I think everybody listening knows the process of that being made, but we know we didn't do anything incredible to to make right, right, this right. child. God made that child and it's mm-hmm. awesome. Um Sure, it can be frustrating, but it's the best creation we will ever have. So understanding our limits is actually quite an asset because, yeah, we are limited, but but God isn't. And being able to point to the true creator is really the, the end all here. Yeah. And I think we have to remind ourselves that we don't have to be all the things. So we'll look at someone and be like, oh, I'm not as good at such and such as them. You know, you talked about, Uh, the artist. Well, not everybody needs to be an artist. It's great that certain people are gifted, are passionate about art, but it's okay if somebody's not. That doesn't mean they're lesser. When I was running internships, I used to feel guilt around the fact that I would bring certain speakers in and they would just clearly be better teachers than me. Like something about the way that they could see information and bring it together and convey it out. Mm -hmm. They were just able to do things that I couldn't, or I'd have to work really hard to do it. And I felt shame because, uh, partly because of me and also externally, there there were certain individuals putting pressure that I had to be all of those things. Mm -hmm. One of the beautiful moments of release and peace was when I realized I don't, I don't have to be a great teacher. You have the, the, the apest gifts, the fivefold gifts, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. I, I remember there's one specific individual who just very much is a teacher, very gifted at it. Like I, he could see information a certain way and bring it together and convey it out. And I remember thinking it was actually such a beautiful, I was so grateful that he could be there to live into that gift. And it's okay that I am not living in that gift because he's living mm-hmm. into that right now. I fall very heavily in shepherd, the pastoral care element, the walking alongside, the be, being able to see sheep in certain situations and know how to get them to the water or how to protect them from the bear. Like That's where I felt like I was uniquely equipping me and positioning me. Well, this individual, like he would name that that was one of his weaker spaces. Mm-hmm. And so like I was able to fill a gap that he wasn't able to fill. He was able to fill a gap that I wasn't able to fill. And this is why, because we're not designed to operate in silos. We're called to function as a body in unity. Scripture is very clear that we're called to function as a body. The arm needs the leg and the elbow Mm -hmm. needs the earlobe. Like all of those parts are important. And those parts aren't meant, the arm is not meant to be an ear. Like it's, but 
we can read that scripture and say, yeah, that makes sense. And then go back into our life and lament that we're not as good as this other person at that, or we're not gifted at that, or my gift doesn't matter. Well, no, Mm. like God has actually put certain things within you that he's inviting you to live out. And he wants you to do so willing to do it, even if you don't see the fruit, even if you don't Mm. get a claim, even if it doesn't look like the most amazing thing. Uh, because some things are hidden. Some things, uh, the Apostle Paul says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, and God made it grow. There are some things that God's inviting you to do that you're not going to be the one to water or make it grow. Yeah. If you don't plant a seed, <laughs> there's no plant. So it's like you are an, a vital part of how God's working. It's just we have to be willing to not be the spotlight um, or... There's a flip way of saying, because some people desire spotlight. I've never been one to desire spotlight. But what gets me is if negative perceptions are put on me. Hmm. So I don't need you to lavish me with praise. But if you're speaking negative things, that's where it gets me. Well, we have to be willing to be in a place where we're okay not getting the spotlight. And we're okay if people see us inaccurately. People saw hmm. Jesus inaccurately, right? Doesn't make it easy, but that's part of what we're being invited to is to not to worry more about what God sees than what others see. Very, very well put. Well, Paul, I think this has been fantastic. And and I really enjoy a lot of the kind of the theoretics here, but also the practical things that the, the audience can do. And that's really what mm-hmm. the show is about is to have people engaged that to actually live life and not just sit back and like, Oh, the world's, that's stupid. I don't like it. And just right, be angry. Right. That that doesn't do us much good. So for the audience to to be able to continue to stay in contact with you and uh, kind of check out your own show, where, where can they find you? Yeah. So what God's invited me to is to create authentic, accessible spaces to process him, to process life, to process Christianity, to process all these things that we have questions about. And so I've tried to compile all that at wheredidyouseegod.com. So you can find the podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts, uh, but you can also find it there. You can also find things that I've written. But my goal is less to like show people my content and more to create those spaces because God is difficult to understand sometimes. Life is difficult to understand sometimes. And too often we're trying to do that on our own, but we can do this as community. What you are doing here, what you created in this space is an example of how we can navigate this together as community, as that body that scripture invites us to. So where did you see God.com? Uh, that's one place you can go. Uh, but really, I would just invite people to cultivate these spaces themselves, to mm-hmm. invite God to cult- cultivate these spaces, uh, because it could be as simple as scooting up next to that person during the lunch break or opening your front porch. And what God can do in those spaces really can be abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. Again, excellently put there. So I, I will I'll include all that down in, in the show notes. It, it was great having you on today, having this great conversation. Yeah. And I think that's a good place to end it on is maybe a challenge for listeners is go do your own conversations with somebody. It doesn't have to be a podcast. Go go doesn't find a neighbor, a, <laughs> a friend, a, a church member, whoever. Just just go and talk about some of these things. I, I think it's really important. So yeah. again, 
great having you on. Uh, for those listening, thank you so much for, for listening again to another episode and just continue to go out there and fight for truth. All right, you guys take care.